Hello and welcome to the Jeff Macalino Podcast. Thanks for listening. And, uh, hey, while we're on the topic, let's, uh, let's, let's all tell a friend to listen this week. See if we can, uh, get a boost in my, uh, ratings here. Uh, I've mentioned before that, uh, Listen Notes, who kind of is the, I don't know, encyclopedia of podcasts, now has the Jeff McAlino podcast in the top 10% globally, um, and it stayed there when the latest rankings came out uh, just a week or so ago. Uh, I'd love to see that get even better. I'm very happy. Wouldn't have expected with my lack of marketing uh, abilities uh, to, to have gotten there uh, as quickly as I did, but let's see if we can push that. Tell a friend. Come on. We'll grow this thing together. And uh, I do promise, as uh, the ratings get better and the uh, ranking gets higher, I'll probably be able to get some even more dynamite guests. Probably not more dynamite than the one I will be interviewing in this episode, but we'll talk about him in just a second. One more housekeeping item. I did put this link. I'll put this link in the uh, show notes. Um, the 2021 Discover Pods Award nominations are open, if you would be so kind. And uh, I've done it myself. It takes less than five minutes, even if you are thoughtfully going through and voting on each individual category. Um, but even quicker, if you're just doing this as, as a favor for me, um, I would love to see you nominate me for the best new-slash-debut podcast of 2021. It's uh, the third box on the list. Pretty easy to see. You just type in the Jeff Macalino podcast right there. And if you don't have a favorite podcast, you can go ahead and pop me in the best overall podcast because that is a required field. Uh, don't stuff the ballot. Just vote once. You can put me down for as many uh, categories, which I would actually qualify for, um, but again, the best new debut podcast of 2021, uh, you know, would love to see, uh, some traction there, uh, they do, uh, they do discourage, uh, stuffing the ballot box, however, the amount of nominations you receive are a factor in, uh, selecting the finalists, and, uh, if I am chosen as a finalist, well, then I'll be telling you all to vote like crazy. Um, you know, as unlikely as it is, I'd love to see, you know, uh, some free publicity from uh, even being a nominee for the uh, award. So again, I'll link that in the show notes. And uh, again, if you would be so kind, I promise it does not take much time or effort on your part. I promise. Um, I would appreciate that. And uh, do the normal stuff, I'll tell you at the end of the episode to do, the Twitters, the Facebooks, Instagram. If you could give me a follow and, uh, you know, if you see a post you like, you, you hit the like button. That all helps. It all kind of folds in together. Um, all right. Now that we're done with past and future, let's talk about the guest I'll be talking to today. Uh, I haven't spoken with them yet. I, I like recording these before I speak to the person because uh, I haven't been doing that lately, but it can be interesting to see how uh, how it ends up going into the episode or whether I need to re-record it afterwards. <laughs> so uh, today I have Justin McAleese 
on the podcast, No Relation, which you should know because Macalise is quite different than Macalino, except for the first little first sound there. Uh, he is a filmmaker from Fresno, California. Uh, had a couple of feature films come out uh, last year. Uh, comedy uh, mockumentary Brick Madness. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to him about that. And he also had a documentary come out uh, called Better. It's uh, about how uh, to eat, feel, and live better. Uh, pretty highly rated on IMDb. Actually, both of these are for what they are, uh, pretty high ratings on IMDb. Um, so I will talk to him about his movies and uh, about filmmaking and uh, wherever else the wind blows my alcohol-addled brain. Uh, I don't even know if that's a saying. Uh, anyways, hope you enjoy it. Uh, always feel free to reach out to me. You can uh, you know, hit me up on any of the social things I've mentioned. I also have a website, jeffmacalino.com. Uh, you know, it's the same spelling as the podcast title you're listening to, but just take out the and show. Pretty easy. jeffmacalino.com. Um, if there's a demand for it, I'll start maybe a blog on there. If not, then I won't. Uh, <laughs> but you can also contact me through there if you prefer uh, opposed to uh, Twitter or Facebook or uh, Instagram or Carrier Pigeon uh, or Telephone or however hell else you would like to. And uh, that's about it. Uh, shout out to all my listeners. I do love looking through the... Uh, I do get uh, notice for uh, the different countries. 99% of my listening audience is shockingly located inside the United States... Uh, and then in order uh, of next, we've got Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, Poland, Switzerland, shout out Switzerland, uh, Mexico, Iran, that's an interesting one, uh, India, and Italy. Glad to see Italy joined uh, in the mix there. Uh, so shout out to all my less than 1% of my audience uh, international, uh, you in Ontario, Canada, uh, seem to be my biggest, 62% of my Canadian audience is in Ontario. See, these analytics can be fun to look at. And uh, shout out to uh, my listeners in England, 85% of my United Kingdom audience. <laughs> so anyways, enjoy the pod. Uh, I'll see you on the flip side. And uh, enjoy Justin McAleese. All right. Now I welcome Justin McAleese to the Jeff Macalino podcast. I already said there's no relation between us, just the first <laughs> just the first syllable of the last name. <laughs> yeah. How are you, Justin? Son of, uh, I'm doing great, yeah. Here in a uh, reasonably temperatured Fresno, California. Doing all right. Nice, yeah. The um, California, you guys are always kind of reasonably temperatured, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not close enough to the uh, to the coast, so it gets really damn hot here sometimes uh, for a couple months in the summer. Um, so yeah, and then it doesn't get too cold ever really. It never it'll get freezing overnight, but not for very you know for a week or two, something like that. So it's never very cold, but it does definitely get hot in the summer. Uh, a dry heat, right? That's the euphemism um, <laughs> they use to make it sound like it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, well, uh, we have the wet heat in Florida. <laughs> 
Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, it never gets quite as hot there temperature-wise, but it's definitely freaking hot there. Yeah, um, and, and you guys yeah. don't experience the, uh, the, the random hurricane-type rains in the middle of the day either, do you? <laughs> no, we had, we had rain um, about a week ago, and it was for about five minutes, and that was the first time in 153 days. Jesus. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's why most of our state's on fire. So that seems like good planning. <laughs> I, I, w- I would say over the last 153 days, we've had rain 151 of them. Yeah. And we're wow. the sunshine state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, riddle me that one. Well, it can be sunny while it is just drenching you. <laughs> That's the totally. that's the fun part. <laughs> that's the weirdest thing. I went there when I was like twelve, and I was like, "What is going on in this place? This is biblical." It's funny. I I, I don't appreciate it enough until people who have never seen uh, sun showers or alligators come to the state. Yeah, it's right. like, well, yeah, we see those. It, it, we're in Florida. What do you expect? <laughs> totally normal. Yeah, it's it's yep. daily living. Florida man, right here. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Justin, I uh, I wanted to talk to you. You've got um, I I did a pre uh, an intro with a little bit of your bio. So, um, you've you've uh, been involved in filmmaking and uh, writing, directing, and some acting too, right? If you can call it that, I hope so. <laughs> it's playing pretend on camera. <laughs> I guess. In Brick Madness, in one of the movies we're going to be talking about, I get to uh, pretend like I'm my brother's brother. So that's pretty easy. I don't cast uh, cast myself in particularly difficult roles, probably. And I get to be a smartass and a sibling to my sibling. So, yeah, it's not that hard to do that, most likely. So, so what brought you to – you've been doing filmmaking, I think I'd heard, for like 20 years now. or Is that right? Yeah, almost exactly. I mean, I graduated college in 2001, so – yeah, it's been about 20 years. Uh, I was a mechanical engineering student for a couple of years, and then I realized that I thought that was really boring, and I didn't want to do that. So I switched out. Uh, movie Clerks was around at the time, some other uh, sort of dazed and confused, and those things were in the zeitgeist. Um, and it made it seemed easy and approachable and doable to do that for my life. So decided to opt out of engineering, get it back into uh, storytelling, basically, and do that. I wanted to make smart-ass movies with my friends. That's all I cared about. So the rest is history. Now I don't do that stuff very often, but occasionally I get to do fun stuff like that. A lot of it's corporate videos and talking heads and interviews and things like that, but those are all pretty valuable as well in their own way. Well, and that had to, uh, I guess, jumping far forward, I mean, doing that had to help because, I mean, uh, Brick Madness... Was a, a that was a mockumentary? I think is the term for it, Correct. right? Yes, um, a fake documentary. Right, and then and then better is an actual documentary. <laughs> Correct. Yes, better's not nearly as funny. Not nearly as funny. <laughs> no, but they both um, for yeah. their categories both have good. I was looking on IMDb. They both have good scores for for you know what their categories are. You know, I got a lot of friends and family. <laughs> That's why I have a five star well, rating on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I think that uh, I think that they are successful in their own way, and people like them. I've definitely gotten I've gotten more feedback about Great Madness because I've shown it in a lot more places and been in person with people as they're watching it a lot more. And so I have 
a much more intimate understanding of how people react to the movie. And I would say that has been very overwhelmingly good in most cases and got a very good, I know when the laughs are coming, I know what people are going to care about and, and how it goes down and sort of what, what they're going to say afterward. And that's all been very positive um, and gotten a number of reviews out of it that were uh, very positive and exceedingly kind of comparing it to other movies and, and how much they laughed and that sort of stuff. So that's definitely been a thing. And then better is the, uh, what would you say, a much more um, polarizing thing because you're talking about weight loss. You're talking about sort of dieting. And I mean, it's not dieting, but it's sort of about dieting and it's, um, it's about a, 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 a way to structure your dietary intake, I would say. And so that has a lot of, there's so much more dogma built around that, that you're going to get people who are going to sort of, I know that there are some uh, reviews on IMDb that I just don't agree with. And they're basically like, wait, well, all this is, is blankety blank. And I'm like, you're missing the whole point. Like, I don't think you really watched the movie. And if you did, you had preconceptions coming in that it was going to be something. And then you just, told yourself it was at the end of the day I think they really missed the mark and that's only a couple of views all, all you know um, on the whole they're exceedingly positive so you know we're trying to make things that change people's lives for the better and help them and make them feel good about themselves and be able to carry forth in a a way that makes them more healthy that's definitely what better about and then brick madness is about fun and messing around with Lego so yeah and it, it's in a universe where Lego does not really exist Correct. right this is a yes in our world it is bricks b-r-i-x and we sort of made that decision very early on to not mess around with lego and i mean it is all for all intents and purposes we're using lego within the thing but you know within that um in the real world in real life what they call this you know brick conventions brick festivals things like that and that's sort of the workaround for that and so we we you know made it bricks and uh that works pretty well so we haven't had any cease and desist letters, so that's been great. <laughs> and um, one of the very interesting things is while we were making the movie, or like before I started making the movie, um, one of the guys that was working for me, his name was Carl Merriam. He, um, I found out like after I came up with the concept, after my friends and I sort of worked on the concept, that he actually liked Lego. He was, you know, one of my employees, and he he really was into it. That's like his whole life was built around it, and. So I was like, oh, that's great. You can help us with this and we can work on things. It's going to be awesome. And um, then I also, then while we were making the movie, but before it actually came out, he actually got approached by the Lego Corporation in, um, in, from Denmark. And how it ended up is he actually works for Lego now, which is like nuts. So he, he moved over to Denmark probably six years ago or something, five years ago. And he actually creates sets that you would see if you went to whatever Lego store you want to go to. He he's the designer of some of that stuff. So, and he's in the movie. He's one. Of, his name is uh, Rupert Clough, and he has a sister within the movie, and they're super funny. And he's a really good actor, and also a really good Lego designer. Did um, I, and I I know just from you telling me when you graduated. Even though looking at me, I think I've looked like I've aged way worse than you. I'm. About eight years younger than you or so. Oh, no. um, I, I feel like when I was a kid, because I have an eight-year-old son now who loves Lego, and uh, I feel like when I was a kid, and maybe it was because my parents were cheap and didn't buy like the sets, 
I feel like it was all just free form imagination, and yeah. now it's like instructions to build uh, the the Hulkbuster suit from Marvel. Like I feel like it's very more structured now than it used to be. Maybe it's 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 hard to say. I mean, yeah, it, I remember buying sets. I remember saving up my nickels and quarters. I mean, like literally going down. I had. I remember going down when I was you know, 11 or something, 10, and having one of the yellow boxes from the previous set, the little tray or whatever, with a bunch of dollars and quarters and nickels and pennies, and saved up $32 or whatever it was to buy a set. And that was like one of the expensive ones back then. And that's what I, and I probably built the thing once and then, you know, dismembered it and built a different thing out of the same stuff. I always bought castle stuff. And so I think it was just, you know, you did it once just to do it, but. I was never a guy that really wanted instructions anyway. If yeah. I looked at it and it made sense, then I would build it basically how they built it. But yeah, instructions weren't my thing. So I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't tie people to to, to only going by the rules. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that we, thing, right? Yeah, weird, weird random thought because my son's very smart. So he, 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 you know, he loves like puzzles and stuff. So he looks yeah. at Legos like a puzzle, and it's like, ah, just build build your own thing. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A mock, a my own creation is sort of the shorthand for that. And, yeah, I mean, obviously you're not – if you go to a Lego convention, you're not looking at other people's uh, – the other sets that they bought and built exactly yeah. according to what the set is. Like, Here's the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah, who cares? <laughs> so it's got to be their own version of whatever they want to build at the end of the day anyway so it's um it, it the, the the universe is definitely ripe for creativity there i mean there's so many options these days and lego's huge yeah the, the um one thing i had heard uh is that for brick madness it took i think i had heard that it took from 2010 to 2020 as far as like the filming process yeah. i mean before yeah because it came out the end of 2020 Mm-hmm. And we've been working on it since 2009. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a, we did a, um, we showed it in theaters in 2017, 18. And then I took it around to um, Lego conventions after that. But the actual like distribution and all that and the final version of it, I was still working on it. It didn't happen until 2020. Yeah, pretty insane. Yeah, that, well, I mean, that goes into... Uh, and and if I remember correctly, you I mean you wrote directed. I, we already mentioned you you had a, a little acting role in that too. Um, yeah. I mean this was your baby basically from start to finish, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I co-wrote it. I came up with you know a lot of the main concepts certainly, and then did the majority of the writing. Um, had a lot of help from my friends and uh, a lot of the people that were in it actually sort of co-wrote it too, so they work on their own parts or they were. Um, just add concepts. We had a bunch of writers' weekends, basically, where we'd all get together and eat food and hang out and um, have a good time and and write parts. And so that definitely helped. I couldn't have done it without them. Um, and then, yeah, I directed it. My brother helped do that, and he was the DP, the cinematographer, and I helped with that some. But um, produced it, edited it, did the color, did some of the graphics, did the all that shit. So much stuff. All the sound. Um, and so, yeah, that is an incredible amount of stuff to do, and I probably wasn't great at all of it, but it got done, and here we are, and we got a movie, and people can watch it. So, 
Yeah, and it's you, you can rent it on Amazon Prime. The link will be in the show oh, notes. <laughs> yes. and, and not only that, the shameless plug there, but you can, uh, if you don't like it, let me know and I will pay for it. I, there's, a, there's a money back guarantee on that movie. I'm happy to give your uh, 11, 10, 15, where, however the hell you buy it, happy to give your money back. If you think it sucks, just let me know. <laughs> that's that that's a uh that's a ballsy uh ballsy move there i'm yet to be taken up on it i'm kind of waiting I, I i would be happy i would be happy if someone called me i was like hey your movie sucks man be- i want my 10 bucks back and i'll be like okay at least explain yourself a little bit so i understand for next time <laughs> but the check's in the mail no problem or i'll send you a venmo i'll send you some uh some lightning on uh, <laughs> the Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, the the only human being I know who would actually do that, even if they didn't enjoy the movie. Actually, I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of people if they didn't enjoy the movie that would probably do it. But my daughter, my 11 year old daughter, who's uh, <laughs> she she walks out of movies. I I try showing them movies. Five minutes in, she's like, "This movie stinks. I'm leaving." Oh, walks yeah. away. Me and my son get to watch the yeah, movie in peace. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know everyone's got their own taste, and this movie, no movie is for everyone. There's no doubt about that. Um, but you know, we try to make something that would be funny, would be appealing. It's not making fun of people who build Lego. Like that was never our intention. We realized sort of early on that that just that wasn't going to do us any good. Like you can't, you know, you never. And they they say in comedy, you never want to punch down. Right. And not that not that Lego people are down, but but people would assume that they are because it's a niche thing, right? They're not rock stars, you know. So so no matter what, if you're doing that, if you're trying to make fun of someone from some perspective of power, it's kind of lame. And so we didn't want to do that. We never did that. I don't think. But we do get a lot of people watching it and being like, "You kind of made fun of us there," but. It was very accurate, and I appreciate that. It felt real. It didn't feel like you were just trying to, you know, uh, give us a hard time for no reason. It, it, right. It was more real than you know. But that, there, I heard that a few times, and that made me happy. There's a difference between being accurate and being uh, and punching down. <laughs> that's yeah. that's a key thing with comedy is you you can ride that line, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Once you turn yeah. into the bully, no one's on your side. <laughs> no, why would they be? Yeah, those those uh, power dynamics are super important with comedy, and that's why you know you gotta be when you're when you're a stand up comedian or anything like that. You always gotta sort of start with making fun of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's usually the first thing out the gate is like, here's why I suck. Also, here's some reasons why I think the world sucks. But as long as you know that I suck, you'll laugh at the stuff about the rest of the right. world. That there, there, there are no. Well, there's very few comedians who can go up on stage and uh, brag about themselves and still be successful. I think Anthony Jeselnik is the only one I can think of. <laughs> I know he's literally the only one that comes to mind that like that's the way he does it. But and and he has a lot of detractors. There's plenty of people who think Anthony Jeselnik sucks, and that's why probably because he's pretty unabashedly pro Anthony Jeselnik. He turns it into his bit. You know, obviously that's how he approaches everything. Um, but I mean, he's funny. I like him. Oh he's yeah, not my top ten or anything. But I think he does it. He he nails that pretty well. Let's put it that way. He he is actually one of the few people who, because uh, I've been, uh, I started doing stand up comedy only now about seven months ago. Um, 
So I, I study it a lot. Uh, but uh, Jeselnik, uh, he's one of the few guys left who actually, I feel like, plays a character on stage as opposed to being an authentic person. Nowadays, comedy used to be being a character, being, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, Larry the yeah. Cable Guy kind of thing. Um, sure. Now it's very much, I'm going to I'm gonna be authentic, I'm going to talk about me. And Jeselnik, I don't think there's any possibility he's as much of a douchebag as he... <laughs> Is in his act. You wouldn't think so. You wouldn't. I'm sure a little bit of it bleeds over in both directions, but right. you couldn't imagine that he's that bad in person. Yeah, he's um. That it's it's I, I wonder. You you always wonder like how is we're gonna go see Louis C.K. here in three weeks or a month, whatever. Oh wow, he's coming to town. Yeah, super psyched about that. And you wonder just like. I think he's pretty much what he talks about. It's just an exaggerated version of it. I got to assume. I mean, I think Dave Chappelle's probably pretty damn close to what he says on cam on you know on the stage. It's got to be really damn similar. But someone like Mitch Hedberg, probably. I mean, he's leaning into it a little bit in in the beginning, probably. But then eventually, he's like, "That's who he was." It seemed like I don't know. Hey, well, yeah. It sound from listening to other comedians talk about him, it sounds like he. He became the character he was portraying in a in a not oh, so good way. Like he, that's kind of what it feel, felt like. Yeah, because he was uneasy about being uneasy at first. If that makes sense. Yes. And then eventually, he got very at ease about being uneasy, which is a weird way that sort of yeah evolves. Yeah. No. And I, I and I I don't remember. I wasn't even following stand up back then, but. Uh, before he died, a lot of comedians who love him and say he was one of the greats said he was terrible for the last year or so before he died. He just oh. was, was not even good at comedy anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that but, sucks. Yeah, I never really yeah. saw that part. I certainly didn't see him live, and so I wouldn't have known. But yeah, I, that's rough, man. Uh, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Yeah, yeah, it can... Uh... <laughs> yeah, super freak. It's uh so so in better they don't recommend doing cocaine. It's not. I, that might be in the deleted scenes. I honestly can't remember, but I don't think so. I mean, someone told me I wouldn't be hungry for weeks. Yeah, that's probably true, right? Yeah. Um, no, we're talking. We, that is a very science-based, very accurate, very um, well-proven recipe for success in losing weight, keeping a healthy lifestyle eating things that are actually good for you that nourish your body to keep you on the straight and narrow that makes your body crave the things it's supposed to crave. I mean, it, it really is a, a dynamic way, hopefully, to address a lot of questions or fundamental misconceptions that people have about what to eat and what's healthy mm-hmm. and like how your body works. And I think we are uh, woefully unprepared to answer most of those questions in any sort of meaningful and specific manner. Yeah, no, and I, uh, that's always been, I, I've brought it up many times on my podcast, always been a struggle of mine is the, uh, not, not just this, but, um, you know, in, in general, I, I'm an Italian kid who grew up, pasta was the thing to eat, pizza, <laughs> pasta, um, and I'm I'm guessing that was not the, the 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 highly recommended foods by most nutritionists. Pasta's not number one on the list. No, it's not number one. Yeah, well, I mean, zoodles are you know zucchini noodles, uh, cauliflower rice, 
or cauliflower noodles or things like that are definitely up there. If you want to make some pasta out of um, uh, butternut squash, we're all about it. And it's, it's not like, it's not a strictly low carb diet. It's not saying no carb. It's not saying that at all. It's not saying like, don't eat wheat. Wheat's bad for you either. It's just a way of looking at I think I lost you. You know my dad, Jeff Macalino, is a cool dad. But he's still old and not hip. Which he shows by telling me to use the word hip. No one uses it anymore. Anyway, here's a segment where my dad has to go to Urban Dictionary to look up something that confused him on social media. What got you confused this week, Dad? I think it's time for another Urban Dictionary. Haven't done this for a while. Thanks for the intro, Bella. Uh, I'm going to do one today that I think I I already know it's a positive thing. Uh, and uh, I, I probably will still never use it, but before I'd ever consider using it, I wanted to actually look up in case there were some sort of implications that I was not aware of. So the word is based. I see us a lot on Twitter. Someone makes a profound point. Uh, people who agree just respond like based. B-A-S-E-D. So here we go. Based. A word used when you agree with something or when you want to recognize someone for being themselves, i.e. courageous and unique or not caring what others think. Especially common in online political slang. That's mostly where I see it. Uh, the opposite of cringe, sometimes the opposite of biased. Okay. The latter usage is the original use, as coined by rapper Lil B. And the word originally took off on the meta-ironic website 4chan with the latter meaning. For that reason, the word is largely used meta-ironically. Without context, you can't tell if it's being ironic used ironically or sincerely as it's used both ways and was popularized in online political slang of conservatives and the political right before being adopted into mainstream online political slang likely likely through shitposting websites or subreddits such as r slash political compass memes I don't know what that means that are similar to 4chan in their meta-irony and edginess, but contain a wider variety of political beliefs and eventually adopted into general online vernacular. When used online, this is a long-ass definition, I must say, for a dictionary. When used online, political language, it can mean based in fact or the opposite of biased due to the number of people who saw it uh, saw it being first used seriously by the online political right and came to the conclusion that it was related to the phase phrase oh boy there's some typos in here destroyed with facts and logic in reference to right-wing personality ben shapiro example one meta ironic shit poster post gif of funny monkey return to monkey commenter based 
Example two, meta-ironic for Shane, for Shane, oh man, <laughs> 4chan Anon 1, I'm going to commit hate crimes, 4chan Anon 2, based. Example 3, politics, leftist 1, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, leftist 2, based. I was heavy on the base and all my bastes, I'm not going to lie. That was a horrible definition, uh, and I'm never going to use the word, uh, but I do like uh, definition here. Third from the top, the definition of based is based from the uh, user based made uh, or by May 5th, 2021. All right. So I'm never going to use that word, but I'm going to assume when people say it to me that it's a compliment that what I said was based or cool or on point. Um, Although it could be used ironically, so I'll always have some doubt in the back of my mind. All right. Well, this was a shitty urban dictionary. Uh... But I hope you think it was based. The, the good kind. You dropped out for a second. <laughs> Yeah, like, anyway, so the answer's 42. That's, that's <laughs> the answer for everything. That's all you need to know. Oh, great. Powerball, too, um, right? <laughs> check. Um, yeah, so uh, there is a wealth of information there, and I, I would say anyone who, if you can answer the question, what is a healthy food? And you, uh, I assume, since it came out last year, uh, I assume most of this was even shot pre-COVID when, I mean, obesity yeah, and stuff like totally, that. <laughs> totally, totally done before COVID happened, yeah. Yeah. Um, we were working on getting it distributed and all that stuff before COVID happened. Yeah, well, timely because it, I mean, it seems like that's 
that and age are the things <laughs> that really are the uh, the killers with oh yeah i mean absolutely yeah diabetes is a huge morbidity for um, for covid you know that's a that's a red flag just waiting to happen and it's you know that's a fundamental breakdown of the regulatory factors of your body like how it chooses to prioritize any of that stuff your blood sugar and your hormone levels and all those things like that's a big breakdown and, and really it type two is what I'm referring to, not type one. You know, people are born with type one. Right. But um that's a big deal. And I think I don't I don't know if we take it quite as seriously as we should. Right. No, I, I think that's uh it it runs in some of my family members, so it's something I should probably keep a closer eye on. But I'm good so far. I'm only thirty four, so that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got you got plenty of time. I got plenty of time you to know, get on the diabetes train. <laughs> <laughs> it is a train to pain land. <laughs> the um so so one thing I'm I'm interested in um and I know you've done uh I mean you mentioned you do a, a bunch of things and I know you've done a bunch of music videos all that kind of stuff but uh kind of circling back um to so to someone, I think a lot of people, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself and, and throwing it at a bunch of people, uh, I think a bunch of people have an idea in their head, and maybe they've even written something, written a screenplay, but they don't have any idea what to do with it. Um, and I, it seems like, from someone who's written a couple, it seems like your options are either send them out to a gazillion people, just try to figure out a way to do it yourself um, or something in between. Is there, I mean, just from your experience, um, what, what do you think just to, you know, do you have any advice for that person where they're like, I've got a great idea or I've got a great screenplay, but I don't know what the hell to do with it. Yeah. It's, it's probably not advice most people want to hear, but um, <laughs> so what the, the, the metaphor that I know, the analogy is, you know, having a good idea for a movie and being there for when the movie is in the theater is the same as seeing a cute girl at the bar and being there when she delivers your second child. Yeah. So there's a lot of in between. Just having a good idea means almost nothing. And right. you really got to work toward all these different and, and uh, uh, adventures to ever see it end up, you know, to be there when the kid's being born, your kid is a whole different thing than being like, oh, she's pretty hot. So that's what I would say, like keeping that metaphor in mind of yeah. how difficult it is to actually make a movie is, is one thing. Um, you know, they say about actors and it, this, this goes for other, um, other vocations as well is like, if anyone can tell you you're an actor, if anyone can tell you that you are not an actor, then you are not an actor. <laughs> so basically, like you have to, <clears throat> because it's gonna suck most of the time, and for most people, it's gonna suck forever. Honestly, you know, I mean, we're always looking at these little microcosms. I, I also think about like, uh, like basketball, right? Like if you ever played or sports, whatever sport it is, it doesn't really matter, but unless you played with someone in the, in the NBA, the best person you've ever played with, the, the hero at your high school, the hero at your college, the hero whatever, is worse than the worst player in the NBA. 
Right. That's how good those people are. And when you think about it that like that, you're like, that guy was awesome. And you're like, no, he's not. He's the shittiest guard in the whole league. And so thinking about it like that, you, you realize that the man, there's a lot of there's a lot of luck involved, there's a lot of practice, there's a lot of probably unique um, perspectives that you have to have. And today, there's a huge amount of politics, too. So yeah. there's a little bit of all that stuff. And if you want to go make a movie, then d- being able to be a multi-threat and do all the things, I think, is very difficult. And I think, um, you know, I think I did a decent job of it in some ways, but I also didn't write the whole movie, certainly. And I had a lot of help from a lot of people. And a lot of people really believe in the project and, and work tirelessly to make it what it is. I couldn't have done it. You know, it would have been terrible if I would have tried to do it myself all the way. Um, certainly, and I have a bigger production company. I already owned all the gear. I already, like, all that stuff was already happening. I, like I said, I had a guy that now works for Lego as one of the product designers. He was doing the builds for me. Like, I fell into a lot of that stuff. But it was also like, that um, that mechanism was already there and already pretty strong, and I was already making money every day doing videos. So it was like part of my DNA at that point. So if you are just a dude who knows nothing about filmmaking and knows nothing about writing but has a really good idea, I would suggest finding someone else to help you write it or offering the idea for free and being like, I want to help. Do you like this? Do you want to help develop it? Um, I think people get very, um, what would you say, they get very territorial over ideas, and I don't think mm-hmm. ideas are all that valuable a lot of times, because it's like 5% idea, 95% execution. Right. It doesn't, I, you know, you can just come up with ideas. There's there's that scene in South Park um, where uh, where Cartman has to go out. He's, um, uh, uh, shit, what's the name of the bot? Awesome. Uh, awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's awesome, and he's the whole thing of what he's trying to do with Butters and all that. But he ends up out in Hollywood, and then he comes. He's a now a script writing robot, right? Yeah. And he's coming up with movie ideas, and it, they're all is uh, Adam Sandler is a duck, and then he flies around. His name is Super Duck, and then and they're like, "This is awesome. That's a great idea. Awesome. Oh, I can't believe that." And it, it, they're all the worst ideas. But the thing is, <laughs> you have to get in that room to even pitch those terrible ideas. And then when they are terrible ideas, sometimes those are the ones that get made. So it's like, oh, yeah. none of that's fair. None of that is, is just or realistic or reasonable. There, there's so many weird things involved in like what gets made, why it gets made, who's going to watch it, why the audience is kind of too dumb or too smart for their own good. Like there's so much there stuff. So, I would say, like, to direct and write a feature film, definitely make short films first. If you want to try to write your own thing, definitely get someone who knows the, like, you You would never say, like, I have a really good design for a house. Like, I just have this cool picture of a house in my mind, and I can draw it, and I know generally how it looks, and it's going to be really great. You would never just, like, start breaking ground and be like, and have, and when the, the construction crew comes and be like, okay, so where do all the studs go? And you're like, oh, I haven't figured that part out yet. Like, Isn't that Churchill? Really <laughs> like, what the what, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, you, all those things, and I think people vastly underestimate how important it is where those studs go. Yeah. Like, if you don't understand why you're putting studs where you're putting them, then obviously, if you've ever had anything to do with a house, like, if you put them in the wrong place, then a they're not up to code. B you're not going to be able to put the plumbing or the electrical where it needs to go. And C 
later on, 30 years, 40 years down the line, people are going to be like, 16 inches, here we go, tink, tink, tink. What the fuck is that there? That shouldn't be there. <laughs> this is where a stud goes. And so, like, the audience intrinsically knows a lot of that stuff. You know, and, and because of how um, template movies become over time, not even in a bad way necessarily, um, but we have a very specific understanding of what we expect out of a movie, unless it's really good and dynamic and sort of can twist that on its head. We know inherently as movie-going geniuses what that thing should be, what that template is. And so when we go to watch and something's out of place, we're like, and and you're like, why aren't you paying attention anymore? Do you not like this movie? You're like, I don't know, it lost me. Yeah. There's a reason for that. And there's like usually a pretty highly technical, specific like um, non-debatable reason why that is happening. And so if you don't know all that stuff, if you don't understand the codes, the where the water pipes and the electrical go and all that other shit and why that fits and why when you, I don't know shit about houses really, but I right. enough, <laughs> enough, enough to go build a damn house. You know, why they're, why all that stuff is set, right? Because those are millions of ideas. Like how you would build a normal house in America today is millions of ideas and they're all designed to make every other idea interact correctly. And if you go into writing a script, a feature length script, a hundred pages, and you don't know why those things have to all interact with each other correctly, then it's, it's not going to make sense and it's not going to work out and you're going to have no idea why. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. The, um, the uh, and this was a year and a half ago. I I, I wrote a f- a quarter of a of a screenplay, and, and I everything with me is always dark comedy. Okay. And I'm writing it, and and I'm like I, I showed it to a few people. Like this is good. This is good. It it's really dark. And I'm like, well, it's supposed to be a dark comedy. They're like, well, you got the dark down. <laughs> So I so, so so even the reason I have a podcast now. So I emailed a bunch of comedians, uh, and and the best answer I got that I think you'll you'll kind of find interesting. Uh, are you familiar with Doug Stanhope? Oh yes, sir. Yeah. So I emailed him, and he wow. responded, and he you know it was just like, do you have any general advice? Because this is you know he he does a lot of dark comedy, and I sure, I. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I, but you make it funny, and and I didn't, and and the first thing he said is, I mean, he gave kind of a four answer response of, who the fuck do you think you are, <laughs> writing? You're not a Hollywood executive. You're fucking Jeff Macalino. Um, he he went so far as to actually look at my name and type it in, which I appreciated. He personalized yeah, it. Him. I'm sure he sent it to a hundred thousand people. But um, but then the next line he said, "Look seriously, write the damn thing. That's five percent of it. The rest of it's going to be who directs it, who acts in it, and who the fuck edits it. It's probably the biggest thing. Sure. And and guess what? It might suck. It might be the greatest thing ever. But it will be about five percent because of you. So just finish it. Fair enough. <laughs> His That's thing was good. just yeah, finish it. Enough. He's like the the odds are it'll sit in a drawer in your desk." And occasionally you'll open that drawer, you'll see it, and you'll smile and say, I accomplished something. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, that changes the, the goalpost. And I, I like what he said, and I think it kind of relates to what you said. You can go ahead and write it, but you don't think you're going to do it all by yourself. I mean, you, you're... You... No, why would you? 
No. You don't, you, you don't even take your car to get fixed. Like, you probably take, if you want brakes done, you take them to a different place than the transmission place, which is a different place than to get the radiator flush, which is different than, like, you don't you don't approach a car that way. You wouldn't approach most things that way. You don't approach your doctor that way. You don't assume one person can do all that shit. But, like, you would think that a doctor would know how to do it all, but you're like, no way. And so no, I'm not saying filmmaking is as complicated as, as that stuff, but it sort of is. And they're sort of, like, they're, they're exceedingly different. What a director does versus what a DP does versus what an editor does are very different disciplines, and they should happen at different times by different people in general. Mm-hmm. Not that you can't. You have lots of examples of people that are good at all of them. Well, they're but experienced. They're not <laughs> great at all of them. What's that? They're, they're experienced. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, I think... for 30 years. Probably. Right. Right, and that's I think the um, I even I even uh, joined a, uh, a comedy sketch group that does little YouTube things. That, yeah. uh, but I joined it because yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, well, okay, first of all, it'll give me some experience to see whether I can act or not. Like that's number one. Like I I I, I used to act when I was a kid, but you know, it's a long time ago on stage. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to on film. Also, we're shooting in front of a green screen. I can maybe learn some things about how this whole filmmaking thing works okay. and how how the finished product is compared to how the filming is. Just from a, you know, it's like it doesn't. It's not. It's not my product. I'm just a, a player in it. It's not going to affect me whether it's the best thing in the world or the worst thing. I guess if it's the yeah. best thing in the world, I'll it's probably get elevated. But. <laughs> Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's like it's like well, I'm learning something. I'm learning a lot. Like even with acting on a green screen, and and a lot of what you're filming is separate from your co-actor, which is not the easiest thing because you're reacting to yeah. nobody. So well, it's hard to get comedic timing. Uh, yeah, really hard. But part of it, I I found already after just doing a couple. With the green screen, you act for a second before and an, uh, at least a second before and at least a second after you're starting and finishing your lines because then it makes the editor's job easier because you can be reacting and then respond yeah. and then you can, you know, give them a look like you're waiting on their response. It's not easy as far as acting, especially for someone who's not an actor. <laughs> and you're not going to be great at that. It's just very, uh, I mean, from the simple perspective that. I think that I think it would be a really fucking difficult argument to argue the opposite of this. And, the, and, and what I'm saying is, acting is almost all reactive. Yes. Because unless you have the first line in the scene, unless you're only referring to the first line in the scene, then all the rest of it is playing back in the scene to what the previous person said. And like listening, um, what do you want to say? There's always a flavor on anything that anyone says. And so if you want to be part of the same conversation, then you need to either reference that flavor and reply with the one that complements it or the one that detracts it or the one that goes with it or that, that is the same. And so it's like you want to – there's always that always happening. And so to pretend like you can act without reacting is a – is a mistake that a lot of people make because they don't know their lines or because they have a certain way that they want to do it or whatever it is. And I mean, you know, you can't play music like that. 
I can't just start hitting drums and then change the drum beat mid. <laughs> Yeah, they'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, right. No. There's a reason that no one wants to listen to free jazz. There's a reason that doesn't do very well in pop culture. No, that's and that again, that's something I've I learned the hard way. Uh is it's it's really hard to act on a one <laughs> when you're literally just oh, reading what the other person's saying and then having to respond to it. No way, dude. That's that's damn near impossible to be good at that. Well, especially There's some scenes that I'm really happy with in Brick Madness. Uh, I, I love other people's scenes more than I love mine, but um, there's some stuff that I do with my brother that I think is really good. And you know, we we had it on paper, and then we wrote it. We had it on paper, and then we would rehearse it, and then we would go, you know, right before shooting, we would go over a bunch of times and really get the timing exact. And so much of what we say in our little repartee is very time dependent. Like, and we have two cameras, and so we're not really changing. Like, what happened on set is what you see on screen. And um, it was really important to us to get all that cadence correct. Like, that's super important to me for comedy. And as you know, doing stand-up, like, um, a, a quarter of a second, a half a second can mean a joke doesn't work. 100%. Yes. I mean, one of the, and honestly, one of the most important things I ever learned about comedy was um, just from telling jokes and fucking around with your friends or whatever is like if you pitch a joke and it doesn't work don't do it again because there's a reason it didn't work and the the sister of that is like if you wait one second too long because you couldn't quite think of the word or the phrasing of the whatever and you know it's a second too long don't don't pitch it it's not going to work you're going to fail and you're going to look stupid and you're going to feel stupid just like forget about it just move on to the next joke the next idea because that timing is so crucial. And people say that, people know that, but then they don't actually act upon it a lot of times. Well, I, I that that's one thing that uh, I remember actually, even as a kid, I remember saying, I'm never going to repeat a punchline. Uh, because oh, yeah. if they didn't catch it the first line and everyone laughed and they say, wait, I didn't hear that, just be like, oh, you missed it, sorry. Because it, <laughs> you say it a second time, nobody's going to laugh. It's not funny. No, the timing not- is gone. And it's the same, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the exact same concept. It's, it's just a little, now I, I did, uh, the advice I got a lot of times is if you truly believe in the joke, do it at open mics three times. If you don't get okay. laughs three times, cause it open, open mics can be different because mostly comedians who aren't paying attention are in the audience. So literally you might've told the best joke ever and nobody was paying attention. So nobody heard it, but, but yes, you're yeah. right. That's the thing. It's, um, if it, or the other thing is if you try the joke and it doesn't get any laughs, but you really believe in it, change it. <laughs> Maybe the yeah, premise is good, but so much is the punchline, not the premise. You just, you might be a word off, but the timing is so crucial in any of that stuff and, and deciding, and you might come up with the wrong timing and then be able to tweak it later. You know, that's a, that's a movie or stand up, you get multiple tries to do that sort of over time. In conversations, you and I talking, we don't get multiple times to say it. And it right. Over, so you let it die. That's fine. Or you don't say it. You just leave it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, anyway, the, crucial. the favorite thing I've done, someone told me that this was savvy beyond my experience. Best thing I've done is at least two times I've told a somewhat edgy joke. Not all that, like really not that dirty or controversial, but somewhat edgy where it's like, ooh, is the reaction 
And then I just pause and I smile and then the laughter comes. And they're like, that's exactly it. Because if you just powered through, they wouldn't have laughed. They would have just been like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. But you sitting back and yeah. just being like, hmm. <laughs> that brings on a... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crucial. And, and the thing is, people don't know how to react to stuff. And you have to give them the proper, um, what would you say? You need to coax them sometimes. And... And the thing that I always try to remember, and, I, and we tried really hard on Brick Madness to implement, is like um, what I think. And maybe people don't believe this quite as much as I do, but what's funny, what makes you laugh, and what's going to continue making you laugh, or you're going to think is funny later, are like three or four very different things. So like people can people can hear something that they know is funny, but they won't laugh because there's not that catalyst at the right moment. And they'll be like, oh, no, there's a really funny bit. And I was like, I didn't hear any laughter. And it, you know, no one laughed at the thing. And you're like, yeah, but it was really funny. And so, and then a lot of people laugh at things that aren't funny either. Like, are objectively less funny, but they have the right catalyst. They have the right spark at the right moment. And so mixing those things and then trying to mix in things that are more, say, arrested development style or something like slow burns, things that you're yeah. set up for jokes that are waiting later. I mean, if you can get someone to not get this, this happens with The Simpsons, mainly developmentally because you're a kid when you watch it when you're older and you're like, oh shit, that's that joke. Um, that sort of things, but those sort of things. But um, having a joke that you might not realize is a joke until the second or third time you watch it. I mean, those, those things make me super happy when I'm watching something because it rewards me for watching it a couple times, which is great. Yeah, the um, uh, uh, probably second to last question I'll ask you. Why? What do you think? So the mockumentary style has really, I mean, it, it's the first time I saw it was The Office, and I know they modeled that off the British Office, and I'm I'm sure, sure it was done before that. Um, sure. Why has it, it? Seems like I mean, Parks and Rec did it, Modern Family did it, really highly successful model totally why do you think there's a reason that the mockumentary is so is it just so accessible because people don't have to necessarily guess emotions sometimes um yeah i think there's a few things i mean being able to have the there's a lot of potential for jokes when you have the confessional booth that mm -hmm. you wouldn't get other ways i think that's underestimated maybe in how important that is to a movie like uh, to a show like the office you know, being able to have them say the joke, then say the opposite of the, you know, it's like, um, uh, what's her name? Mindy Kaling. Um, she, she's like, and you know what, Ryan, I'm pregnant. And then they immediately cut to her in the, uh, in the, the, the booth. And she's like, and then they cut away. And it's like such a good, clean, simple moment. Right. And you know, immediately, and there's no other way for her to do that except to like turn to the camera and then do it and then turn back to him and like that's not gonna work he's in the room with you that's fucking stupid like there's so many reasons why that doesn't have the same impact but in a show like that it works really well so that's one of the reasons i think that's successful two people are i certainly am a board of tears with typical um sitcoms i just think they yeah. suck and i never like i didn't you know there's so very few examples that were ever any good to me you know i'm a big seinfeld fan but right. 
I'm way more of a cartoon fan, and I've always been a cartoon fan. Uh, Simpsons, South Park, Family Guy, whatever. And um, that's mainly because they can get away with stuff that you know typically sitcoms never could, and they can do they can tell the story in a much more dynamic way. And so that was always what I was interested in. And I just I, I looked at sitcoms and was like, this is awful, though. Like, how don't you realize that this is awful? This is cliche. This is trite. This is simplistic. This is um, a template, and they do the same thing every single episode always. And it wasn't until some of, you know, to an extent, some of those other shows came out and really flipped that on its head just enough to be something that I was interested in, um, which was true for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I think uh, there have the only sitcom I would say that has been enjoyable, I'm probably forgetting one. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you've seen that. I, I enjoyed Dave, um, yeah. which is on FX. Little Dicky? Little Dicky, yeah. Yeah, shit, yeah, because Dave's smart, man. He's funny. Yeah, yeah. that that's he, the only... Great. His whole take on stuff is really good. and But he's, I mean, to call that a sitcom, I mean... That's true. He's got, it's like, Jesus, he's got this... Um, you know, prosthetic pussy, and he's, he's <laughs> running around the house. Like, that. like, come on, man, that's hardly a sitcom. That's true. It's not a it's not a network TV sitcom. No, 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 no. no. And I, your point is well taken. It's it's absolutely true. I mean, it's a solid show. Yeah. No, and, and uh, uh, curb your enthusiasm, which is not new, although it's still they're still making episodes. That's yeah. it. But that's a that's basically an improv show. I mean, if you if you think about it, like those scripts are like six pages, which is that that's ridiculous. What uh, Larry David's able to accomplish with that show? Yeah, and it's Seinfeld two point I mean, it's just a different version of that. Um, it's a dirtier I, I like version. <laughs> I like Seinfeld better than Kerr, but um, but um, yeah, it's. It's you know it's a different type of show. It's a singular idea for sure, and it's just it's tough to make that stuff work. Absolutely, yeah. and I think you know there's um there's money reasons why they think they like The Office. You know, things like that worked a little bit better. They were a little bit cheaper. I mean, shit on the on The Office. Uh, one of like literally, it's only Steve Carell, and he wasn't even a big actor. It wasn't like he was headlining movies or anything at the time. Right. The only one he's got to pay. Who else are they paying? None of them were names at the point, and five of them were just like people. They weren't right. even actors. I mean, uh, Lois. Uh, I'm sorry. Phyllis was the casting Phyllis. director assistant, right? Goddamn <laughs> casting director. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like so many of them are are just like just people that they happen to fit in there, and it it really worked. So yeah, I mean, I don't. The, those are anomalies for sure, and they worked for different reasons and so Hollywood being what they did they ran it into the ground and it's probably pretty much dead now but it'll come back <clears throat> yeah that well that's the funny thing I and I've been listening to uh Kevin or uh, Brian Baumgartner's podcast about the office and NBC was just like yeah give it six episodes which is basically means you're you you got six episodes you're done and then I yeah. think they they gave them four episodes for a second season, which is unheard of. But then Steve Carell starred in Forty Year Old Virgin, and then they're like, "Wait, uh, we need more." <laughs> so uh, so it was pure luck. It was pure luck. I mean that Steve Carell just happened to have a massive hit movie 
come out and they're like, yeah. oh, the people like him. <laughs> I see. So, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, that goes back to the original stuff. It's like, yeah, you want to get a movie made. Hopefully you get in 40-year-old version. Hopefully you know Judd Apatow. Hopefully, like, <laughs> it's just, that's winning the lottery, man. It really is. Yeah. There's no other way to look at it. To get, like, a movie made and to have other people hear about it endlessly difficult and or just luck and, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try you should absolutely try if that's what you want to do and that's all that you see being your path in life then go for it for sure yeah well that, that's doug stanhope you'll you'll look at it and smile even if it's just something in a drawer somewhere <laughs> yeah right good for him man i can see him yeah that's great i'm glad that you got a reply from him he's um yeah he's definitely got his own brand and I respect what he does for sure because he seems very genuine about how he approaches the stage. Yeah, no, and he's he's the uh, I would say he's the most famous guy I actually reached out to, and he replied in like a half hour. Uh, oh, it was like what That's the awesome. fuck? Like he just must have happened to be sitting at a computer and be like, oh, email. Yeah, right. Uh, I know how to respond <laughs> to this. I've done it before. <laughs> I like to think he was drunk when he did it. <laughs> I would. I think chances are probably pretty decent. Probably it was it was uh, probably about five o'clock Bisbee Arizona time. So. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's what happened. Uh, oh, so man. Justin, I, you do know, you... be yourself, be be authentic, dial, be the best version of yourself, be the most authentic version of the best version of yourself. Don't be like, oh, I'm me, and so that means I'm good. Fuck that. You're probably trash. You're trying to get better, less trash. I mean, really. So that's my take on that, which is a whole different. The question no one asked and didn't want to hear, but anyone says, "Oh, just be yourself." It's selling that there's a lot of narcissism in that statement. Yeah, no, that's uh, I I would agree. Be yourself if you're good. You're probably yeah. not. <laughs> if you're good enough to be something, then be yourself. If you're not something, then maybe you should be a little bit better. <laughs> Uh, so what uh, is there anything? Uh, uh, I'll link brick ma- brick, uh, brick madness uh, in the show notes. And uh, where can people see uh, better? Where can people find that? That's on iTunes currently. It's going to be okay. on some other platforms here really quickly, but it's on iTunes. And you can go to bettermovie.com and find out all about that. And you can go to brickmadness.com or brickmadnessmovie.com or brickmadness.movie. I own all the URLs. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't find that there. But yeah, go to Amazon, watch Break Madness. Um, if you think it sucks, give your money back. Like I said, it is very funny, in my opinion. And that's not because I think I'm great. It's because there are really funny people in it that um, I would um, – basically what I tell people, and which is true 100%, is like I don't give a shit who Hollywood would if, – if, if there was a casting director knocking down my door and being like, hey, I'll put these really famous people in your movie, obviously I would have said, yes, I want famous people. Do I think that they would have done a better job, like an objectively better job at being in those roles? I don't think so. I think the people that are in the movie are just breathtakingly perfect at what they're doing. And so that makes me happy because they're they're all my friends and they're all people I like to begin with. Mainly we cast a few people, but um, I was just really proud of their performances. No, and I, 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 I think that uh, one thing I'll, I'll add I think stand-up comedians and just comedians in general are very underrepresented as far as acting goes because they are definitely the best comedic actors, better than the dramatic actors. And uh, they also can be really good. I mean, 
Breaking Bad, in my opinion, is the greatest television show ever created. And most of those actors are rooted in comedy. Bob Odenkirk, even Brian Cranston's oh, sure. a comedic actor. Uh, sure, he was Malcolm in the Middle for 10 years before he went and did that. Right, and he was famous for Seinfeld and stuff like that sure. before then. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Bill Burr was in, in Breaking Bad. It's like, yeah, they targeted stand-up comedians to do the most serious, uh, dark comedy, I would say, ever made. Yeah. And, and they they hit. They so, no, I... It. Yeah, I I think yeah. there's I think there's something there. I I don't always think that uh I well, maybe this is bringing up another topic you don't want to get to, but <laughs> I do think that uh um I think I I a lot of times compare acting to famous singers. Like I bet there are 10 people you could find if you searched in a month that are better than the most famous female pop star out there that are more talented than her, but either they're uglier or they're just not willing to do what she's willing to do. And I don't mean sexual. I mean, no, 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 just put in the work. And I I feel like acting's the same thing. There's, there's a lot of people who could act great, but they have an eight to five job and they're like, well, I don't want to let go of my security here to, to go act. Yeah. Someone talked them out of being an actor. So they're no longer an actor. And this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, not everyone should be an actor. Most people shouldn't be actors. Right. People that want to be actors shouldn't be actors. Um, yeah, there there are a lot of talented people out there. Execution is 95% of it. And yeah, that's the hard part, man. I'm only good at it sometimes. And it's really difficult to just keep pushing. And especially in, you know, it's like surrounded by media these days and content. And honestly, in my opinion, a lot of it's really good. You know, I, yeah. I don't. My own take on producing stuff has changed a lot in like the last five, ten years. Because it's one thing when you're talking about, you know, as we referenced earlier, let's say 2001, and they're like, "Oh, what's your favorite show on? What's your favorite comedy show on TV?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, The Simpsons and South Park and all these other." And they're like, "No, what what sitcoms do you like?" And I'm like, "Well, they all suck." <laughs> all right, what comedy movies do you like? And I'm like, mm, "There's a couple. I don't." You know, a lot of them don't work at all for me. And um, so that was why I was, that's why I made the movie I made. And I still feel that way to an extent about comedy feature films. But I think there's a lot of good shows. Yeah. And there's definitely a lot of good dramatic shows. I don't think we have any shortage of, like, good dramatic fare. Maybe not completely original or whatever, but, like, they've dialed that shit in pretty well. That's, I, I think yeah. I sit and watch Netflix and Hulu and that stuff all day long and find all sorts of good shows. That's my opinion on it, at least. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. There's there's a, a gazillion great drama TV shows out there right now. And some of yeah. them, I'd argue, are dark comedies. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that. But, yeah. uh, so Justin, uh, anything uh, besides uh, Brick Madness, better, I'll, I'll plug those in the show notes. Uh, anything yeah. uh, on the horizon, anything uh, else you want to plug or anything? Uh, not plug necessarily. No, I would, you know, I, I would, those two projects are definitely most important things to me right now. Um, there's a show we're working on called the, an American abroad. So I'm going to go to South Africa and, um, a couple other, uh, countries, uh, early next year to go do that. So that'll be coming out that we've been shooting that, uh, most of this or a lot of this year we went abroad and shot that. Um, so that'll be coming out. Um, I am a, Director of photography on that. That could be very, very 
interesting and fun. And um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, if you want to uh, buy the dip, crypto is uh, pretty garbage right now. So are stocks. So maybe if, if you want some advice, that's, that's my advice. Buy some Bitcoin right now. Help my, help my Bitcoin go back up because it took a big shit today. Oh, did it? Well, I'm. I might buy some myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not because of crypto. There's other way more complicated reasons of what's happening in China. This and that. Um, it was not crypto related specifically, but but here we are. We'll see um, when this comes out. What the uh, what the prices are doing. <laughs> yeah, if it if it comes out in two hours, the prices might. The, what you just said might make no yeah, sense. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'll start taking bets because I'll probably be pretty close. <laughs> well, Justin, thank you so much. From one J to another, I appreciate you coming yeah. on. <laughs> there you go, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'd uh, love to love to see a show or something. Do you have any shows up? Anything I can watch a five minute set? Uh, I've been I've been pretty protective of my stand up for the most part so far. Sure. Um, mainly because a lot of comedians are like, dude. Everything you do in your first year of stand up is going to be so embarrassing to you. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I think I got some good stuff. They're like, don't share it with anyone. <laughs> so, sort of confidence. Yeah, well, I still think I got some good stuff. I think I've released a couple of snippets here and there, but uh, I'll uh, maybe maybe I'll shoot you. I, I got some recording. I'll shoot you some. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I did one. I've done it. Full transparency. I did one set, seven minutes once. That's all I've done. That was a few months ago. It was my first time. Uh, I will probably do it again. But um, yeah, I was I was egregiously unprepared for that venture. I was going to Amsterdam in the morning and had had no time to work on it. And I ended up just sort of telling stories. But it was fun. I think it's totally bald, I don't think, so. First time I go up, I'm like, and I'd done like an open mic, which was like poetry, music, all that shit. And I was, so I could just tell dick jokes for five minutes and everyone would laugh because I was a change of pace from this guy doing a poem about his dead parents or something. (laughs) Uh, So I go up at a stand-up, at a comedy club and the lights, I get up stage, on stage, I'm like, I can't see anything. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit, this is not <laughs> This was deer in the headlights, very much so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what a trip, man. It it is weird when you're up there and people are staring at you, especially if people you know are staring at you and you're like, ah oh, shit. Well, that was part of the problem too. Uh, <laughs> that's good. I think everyone you know, it's karaoke or something like that. It's like every, everyone should at least try to do some of those things. Just to come overcome their own fears or like understand where they are in the world or any of that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's good. Flex those muscles. Be be um, uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. Well, and it helps you find the funny, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so your dark for comedy sure. is not just dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck on that script. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, Justin. For sure. Hey, that's it, that's all. Hope you had a ball. Please exit to your right. That's something that Carney used to say when uh, Wipeout ended at the festival. Shout out St. Paul's Festival. Uh, <laughs> hope you enjoyed it. Uh, got in the weeds a little bit about filmmaking, but uh, I thought it was interesting, so hopefully you did too. Um, talked a decent amount about comedy too, so, you know, good 
I don't know. I had a good time, but I also had a drink. So if you didn't, maybe you should have poured yourself a drink before you listened. I don't know. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying. Uh, anyways, check out Justin's stuff. Uh, Brick Madness. You can get it on Amazon Plus Prime. Amazon Prime. I don't think Amazon Plus is a thing. Amazon Prime. And it comes with a money-back guarantee from Justin. Uh, but I will not tell you how to reach him. You'll have to do that research yourself, although I think it's relatively easy since I was able to. Uh, and uh, check out Better. It sounds like it'll be on more uh, things. It's on iTunes now. It'll be on more things uh, soon. You know, maybe that's that's how I'm going to get my beach body for winter. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> anyways, thank you to Justin. Had a great time talking with him, learned a little, laughed a little. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good podcast. Uh, do all the things I said in the pre-roll when I was much more sober than I am now. Woohoo! All right, I love you all. Probably, I don't really know most of you. Um, shout out to my person who listened from Iran. Um, I don't know, maybe that was just... Tyler on vacation. I don't know that he's gone there recently. Uh, But anywho, shout out to the international listeners. And uh, I guess I should probably play more to the 99%. Still 1%. I think that's what Occupy Wall Street was all about. Where did they go? I don't know. All right. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everyone. Uh, Remind me. Someone needs to remind me. I need to talk about the attempted murders that have happened to me by frogs. Uh, there, there have been plentiful over the past two years. It's just been an assault on my life. I'll talk about it. Uh, maybe I'll put the video on YouTube as well. We'll see. Um, yeah, I'll do that. Just someone needs to remind me. I've had a few cocktails. I was enjoying my conversation with Justin. Uh, so yeah, do that. And uh, somehow I'm supposed to wrap this up. I don't know how. So I think I'm just going to press this big X that says stop. Good night. Good night.